Good morning. First of all, I just want to thank you for inviting us here. Worship was unbelievable. The Spirit of God just fell, and I was very touched. I know that the ladies were touched. So I just want to thank you, first of all, for inviting us back. Is there anyone that doesn't know about Teen Challenge? Good. Um, <laughs> I like when people know about Teen Challenge. Uh, just the th facts that you might not know, there's 150 teen challenges in the United States, 250 worldwide, and in New England, there's 10 centers ranging from Maine to New Jersey, and today is Providence is with you. So some of the things that we are doing in Providence right now, God has blessed us with two houses. So we got another um, house about two years ago, and so with two houses and 28 ladies, and 15 staff, there's a lot of work to be done in both those houses. So if there's anyone that has gifts, talents with electricity, plumbing, heating, painting, anything like that, we would love for you to come see us at the table and we would love for you to help us. Um, prayers are definitely always needed so you can help us with praying for us. There are, are many things that are going on right now in the home so just Praying would be wonderful for us. Please check out our sales tables. The ladies would love to help you out there. We also have a mailing list if you would like to sign up. If you're not on our mailing list, please sign up so you can get information about what's going on in Teen Challenge. Thank you. 
everybody. Um, I'm Charlene. I'm 19 years old, and I'm from Hebron, Connecticut. I've been in Teen Challenge a little bit over three months. And um, I basically always wanted to grow up too fast, and I was always really drawn to the party scene. And in high school, I did a good job balancing my grades and partying because I did end up graduating. But after graduation, I didn't have any plans to um, go to college or go to the Army or I didn't have a full-time job. So basically all that time turned into a heroin addiction. Um, things got really out of control. I mean, I was living wild. I was lying, cheating, and stealing my way through life. And um, I became so broken and so lost so quickly. And it was almost like Teen Challenge was calling out to me because I went to graduation chapel where the ladies and I go monthly to um, celebrate our commencement of the program. And I was almost jealous there of the, how happy everybody was. And even when I called the program on the phone, the words the women told me stood out to me and I, I held those with me. And it came to a point where Teen Challenge was the only doors that were open for me. Um, I, I lost all my friends and my family started catching on. and. Life outside, like living the the sinful lifestyle wasn't working for me anymore. And I walked into the doors of Teen Challenge, and it was really hard. I mean, I was so broken dealing with so many things, and I just wanted to leave. I couldn't take it. And um, I packed my bags. And before you leave, you have to go into the chapel for an hour. And I got on my face, and I cried out to Jesus Christ. And I made the phone call to call my mom to come get me. And she wouldn't come because she loved me enough not to come. And um, since that day, I really haven't been the same. I mean, God is just building my character. And um, I don't have to lie, cheat, and steal my way through life anymore. And I thought I was coming to the program for uh, an addiction. But really, Jesus is working in, inside and out. He's I don't talk the same, I don't walk the same, I don't listen to the same music or watch the same shows or um, dress the same. I mean, everything about me, I'm a completely different person by the grace of God, and I'm just um, so grateful today, and I'm content. And um, my father actually went into a detox program on Christmas Eve, and today I have faith in God that he's going to touch him, you know, and um uh, the scripture that I stand on is uh, Psalms 1828. You keep the lamp of my life burning brightly. You are my God. You bring light to my darkness. And in the future, I just want to be the light for people. And I want to save people just like Jesus saved me. Thank you. Hi, my name is Tiffany. I'm 22 years old. Um, I've been in the Ministry of Teen Challenge for about two and a half years, and um, growing up, I thought I had what was a normal life. I had good parents, parents who loved me, who cared for me. I had material things. I had affection. I had all the things that you would think that a child would need to make them happy, to keep them content, to keep them on the right path, um, but I didn't know God growing up, and I remember making a choice around the age of 13 years old, 14 years old that I, I just looked different and my hair was different, my clothes were different. I wasn't the same as other people. And I remember wanting that. I wanted to fit in. And I remember thinking one day, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to fit in. I want to feel accepted. I knew that void at such a young age that there was something that had to fill me. And so I began to use drugs. I began to um, 
get into abusive relationships. I began to cheat, to lie, to steal, just like Charlene was saying, at a very young age. And just, you know, same as her, I kind of lived a double life going through school. I, I finished school all right, and I was still trying to, you know, keep up a, a facade that everything was all right, but I was going deeper and deeper into a drug addiction, and um, I ended up, you know, 19 years old, addicted to, uh, you know, cocaine and um, Oxycontin and prescription drugs. I had been on depression medication for 10 years. I had been on bipolar medication. I probably took 20 pills every morning. I couldn't even function. I was like a zombie. I couldn't get through the day. And um, my family had turned their back on me. I have young sisters who didn't even call me their sister anymore. My parents would lock their doors. I had no friends anymore. I was, I was hopeless. The world that I had indulged so much in had turned its back on me and had nothing left to offer me. And I had known, known of God growing up. I had been to church on a holiday or two and you know, something in our desperation when we have nothing left, you know, cries out for him. And I just said the same thing. I fell on my knees and said, you know, if you are real, I remember thinking that night that I was going to die, that I was going to overdose. It was the night of my birthday. And I said, if you're real, you know, would you come into my life and would you show me? And um, about a week later, I ended up in the ministry of Teen Challenge. And, um, you know, I thank God for his saving power, for his word that says that his arm is not too short to ransom you. Because I thought that I was so far gone. I had no hope left. There was no, the dreams and the goals. Imagine, you know, a 19-year-old having no hope, no dreams, no goals, thinking that they had no future. And that's where I was at. And I thank God for the powerful way that he came into my life and showed me that he was real. And since I've been here, you know, it's, it's not a drug problem. It's a character problem. It's a, it's a void that we have. It's, it's all of the things that we try to stuff it with. It's the TV. It's the friends. It's the relationships. It's the drugs. It's the alcohol. It's the, you know, meaningless activities. It's everything that we try to put in God's place instead. And here, he tears those things down one by one, so you have no choice but to look for him to fill that void. And that's what he's done in my life, and he's changing my character. He's not making, he's giving me patience, and he's taking out my anger and my bitterness and my unforgiveness and all the things that have, you know, plagued me growing up, you know, growing up and through my life. And, you know, he's slowly saving my family. He's drawing my family closer to him. He's allowing me to be a light instead of a burden for the first time in my life. And, you know, I'm a different person. I, I don't even I don't even talk the same. I, you know, just like Charlene said, it's, it's so funny. You know, the way that we come in, you know, I would like to think I wouldn't even be able to recognize that person if I saw him today. And, you know, I never thought that this was possible. And I've, you know, have a hope again in, in the Lord. And I'd never want to stray from him. I want to stay in his in his will and in his path for me. And, um, you know, I believe that's going to be working with children. That's going to be, you know, in evangelism. That's going to be in outreach ministries. And so I stay here on to serve at Teen Challenge until, you know, the Lord directs me otherwise. But I thank God for this ministry and, you know, that it saved my life. And I don't know where I would be without it and without the Lord working through it. And um, the scripture that I stand on, I used to be very timid, very scared. I couldn't talk in front of people. <laughs> I was scared to have interactions. And um, Joshua 1.9 was always very comforting to me. It says, do not be... Um, discouraged or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. This is the last song that we're going to sing and it's called None But Jesus and, and like Tiffany says like we're, we were all trying to fill ourselves with everything except Jesus. Drugs, alcohol, relationships. For me it was having children just different things, but, you know, through being in Teen Challenge for the past three and a half years, like, I know that all I need is Jesus. Like, I don't see my kids 
but I know that Jesus is on the throne of my heart, that he's working it all out, that no matter what goes on in my life, it's none but Jesus. It's all about him. He's everything. So I just pray that you'll be blessed with this song. Just listen to the words. It's, I love this song. Like every time I hear it, I cry. Um, but I just pray that you were blessed with the testimonies, with the songs, and hopefully the DVD will work. Yeah.
was awesome. Hey, let's open our Bibles to Ezra chapter 6. Again, uh, this is part 3 in our uh, very, very quick study in the book of Ezra. And we'll have one more part, so there'll be four altogether. Just a little review of the book of Ezra before we start in chapter 7. Ezra, again, this a whole idea of returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They were led by God. They were, they, they were told to return and settle in, and then they began the rebuilding process. They started with the altar, with the daily worship. Uh, then we saw in chapter 4 that last week we looked at this fact that the enemies began to come, and, and they were under attack, and they were facing discouragement and fear and frustration and accusation, all those kinds of things, and a lot of those are feelings as well. But God spoke to them. It got bad enough, though, for a while, and this is what happened if you only depend on how you feel. For a while, it got bad enough that the, the, the work actually stopped. It came to a standstill, it says. For almost 15 years, it came to a standstill. Nothing was done until God spoke again through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Until God's word came and, and got them moving and they, and they decided to follow God's word instead of their own discouragement, fear, and and the attacks of those that were around them. And it says there that the work continued, and God got them moving. He wasn't finished with them, and they got to the place where they completed it, and they dedicated this temple to the Lord. They had joy and, and celebration. They came to the finish line, despite everything they faced, because God's word, they, they held on to God's word. I like what these gals said, that, you know, the verse I hold on to is... And each one of them had their own scripture, their own passage that they can hold on to. Something I remember from Bill Kinnaman that he talked about having a life verse. Do you have a verse that you hold on to through thick and thin, through you know, good times and bad times where there's a verse of scripture that, that you can hold on to? Not, not a, a saying of the world or not your own feeling or whatever, but a, a passage that God has spoken. Chapter 7 now, let's look, let's look there. We're not going to look at every verse. We're going to look at this, and we're going to look at some verses in, in uh, Nehemiah as well. Chapter uh, 7, verse 1, it says, After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarai, and then it gives a whole list of his whole background, and all the way uh, to Aaron, the end of chapter 5, he was in the line of Aaron, he was a priest, it says, verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. Again, they were in captivity. The Babylonians had taken them uh, captive. But now God was opening the doors, for, uh, giving them freedom to go back. And, and at some point in time, Ezra returned, it says. And look what it says about him, though. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He was a teacher and God had sent him back, you see. They'd gone back to rebuild the temple to get everything formed again. But one of the things they needed was to have what? The teaching of the word, you see. It wasn't good enough to just, you know, have a bunch of worship and, and not really, you know, think, you know, have any basis for it. They had to have, and God sent back Ezra. And it says that he was a teacher. It says he was well-versed in the law of Moses. And, and at that time, that was the scripture they had, Right? He knew the word. He had studied the word. But notice this about the, the, the teaching that he had. It says that the, he was a teacher well-versed 
in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Where did this scripture come from? Was it just of men? No, it says it came from the Lord. And, and, and again, our, our foundation of Scripture, we have to understand and we, and we read and study and we find out that Scripture is inspired by God. It's given by God. Yes, He has spoken through people, but it's God's Word. That's why we call it God's Word, because it came from God. It didn't come from Isaiah or Matthew or any of these other folks. It came from God. God spoke through man by his spirit paul said in timothy that all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching for rebuking for correcting and training and righteous training in righteousness so that the man of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work this scripture uh, paul was so you know dedicated to and paul was an amazing teacher god used him in amazing ways but he knew that it was the scripture that god had given that we needed to be taught by, we needed to be, yes, rebuked by, corrected by, and trained so that we could be ready to do whatever God would call us to do. A few verses later, he says this, and he was speaking to Timothy, who was like his protege or, or a young pastor, and he said to Timothy, as he was training him, he said this, he said, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead..." And that's kind of a heavy thing to say. And in view of his appearing in, in his kingdom, he says to Timothy, he says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. This young pastor who was going to help people and, 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 and who he was raising up, he said, the most important thing you need to do, and God's in the presence of God and, and, and all about God, he says, what you need to do is preach the word. Don't preach just how you feel. Don't preach your ideas and man's ideas but preach the word. Jump down to verse 9. It says again about Ezra. <clears throat> he had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month. He arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. We see this guy, Ezra, there are three things about him that were important. And again, God sent him back, God, God's gracious hand was upon him to send him back to the people in Jerusalem. But these three things, notice he says he had devoted himself to these three things. Number one, to the study of the word. God gives, uh, the scripture says, teachers to the church. And, you know, not everybody can spend hours and hours and hours studying the Word all the time. It doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't study the Word when we have opportunity and when we can and as we are able. But God has, you know, given people who, uh, you know, have more time and set them apart to study the Word. Ezra was one of these guys. It says he devoted himself to studying the Word to the study of the Word. And, 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 you know, it's not an easy thing. And studying the Word, you, need, you know, it, it takes time. It takes prayer. It takes God's Spirit. It takes learning from other people. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of things involved in studying the Word. The, the second thing it says about Him is what? Anybody notice what the second thing is? Observance, which means what? The doing, he, he wasn't just a guy who studied the Bible, 
but he devoted himself also to doing what it says. And for a teacher, for somebody who is, you know, given a responsibility to, to teach others, you know, it's not just you're passing along information just for their sake. You need to study it for yourself, but also to do it. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, said the same thing, didn't he? It's not enough just to know the word, but he says, do what it says. Ezra, he devoted himself in, to, to the study and the observance of the word of God. And, and again, to study it, not just to say, well, this would be a good message or this would be a good sermon or whatever, but, but to take that word in and, and to see what God would want to teach and want to apply to his life and to our lives. And, and he took it in for himself as well. But the third thing there is, is to teach it to others. Notice, though, that, you know, it's kind of the, the flow is that he studies it and he applies it to his own life and then he teaches it to others. He doesn't just study these Bible passages and come up with these great, magnificent three-point sermons and, and pass it along to you and then goes out and lives, you know, like the world the rest of the time. It's the consistency that we see in in Ezra's life, and we need people like this. We need people who are devoted, who are dedicated to, to God's Word, and not just one of those things, but all those things, to study, to, to do it, and then to teach and share with others. Look at verse 11. It says, This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and the decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, this is the king, he's a secular king. He says to Ezra the priest, a teacher of the law of the God of heaven. It was like something about this guy. He knew that this guy was a teacher. And it was obvious to everyone he was a teacher. And he, he couldn't help but pass along this. And, and even the secular king had realized it. In verse 14 it says, You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. He had the word of God in his hand. Now I want to fast forward to Nehemiah's time. Jump ahead to uh, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 8, the next book, <clears throat> and something that happened there, which was kind of phenomenal, kind of exciting, <clears throat> to this man who was a teacher. This man, we, we see a little bit about who he is, and now we see in Nehemiah chapter 8 a little bit about what happened, what he did uh, in this setting. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says, when the, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. That's not the water gate you're thinking about. <laughs> they needed scripture there, and interestingly... Charles Colson um, became quite a preacher of the word. It says, They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. This is amazing. What did, what did they tell Ezra, the scribe, the priest, the teacher, to do? They told him to bring out the book. Not bring out the best foods. Bring out the book. Some of you may, may never mind, you're a little too young for that. Bring out the book. You know, we need the Word of God. Bring out the book. Yes, all these other things are important, but they realized, they got together, they had this meeting, this conference, this assembly, this gathering. Why? To get the book. 
They, they were people of the book. They, they knew that this book had something they needed to hear, something to build upon, some kind of foundation to come out of. So verse 2, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. They had this conference and and there were men women and children there all who were able to understand who needs to hear the word we all do we all need to hear the word and he brought it out in verse 3 it says that he read it aloud he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men women and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law He read it aloud for hours. Someone said that it must have been the Spirit of God for them to be able to sit and listen for hours and hours for this one guy just reading from the book. Now, if I told you that I was going to read for like four hours, I'm just going to read for you from four hours, how many of you would be here for like four hours? I got to go to the bathroom and then I got to, you know, check my cell phone messages, and then I got to go get some food, and then I got to, and pretty soon it'll just be me here reading by myself. This was a move of the Spirit of God, definitely. But, but it was all about the book, and they were reading it out loud. The response of the people there, it says they listened attentively. They, they knew that there was something about this. And, and you know, you, you read about the times where, you know, the book had been neglected in, in, the, in, the, in the books of the kings. And, and, you know, they find the book in there and they hear, you know, someone then read from the scriptures. And, and they, their hearts are just like broken and they begin to weep and, and tear their clothes and, and, and humble themselves. Why? Because of the book. This is no ordinary book which has become the bestseller of, of all mankind. This is no, you know, story book. This is God's word. Look at verse 4. It says, So Ezra the scribe, he stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him were all these guys on his right. All these guys were standing there with him. Notice they, they built this platform. They wanted to do whatever they could to make it understandable and, and make it uh, practically um, that they could grab a hold of it. You know, David Guzik said they did practical things so that God's word would have the greatest effect. And he says there are practical things we can do also to help. Like, you know, if it was really, really cold in here, it'd be hard for you to listen. If it was really, really hot in here, if the the pews were any more uncomfortable, you know, all these different kinds of things. If the sound was so loud, it was hurting your ears. If it was so quiet that you couldn't hear, you know, things that practical things that we can do. We try to make it, you know, so there's not a lot of distractions so that we can hear the word. He goes on to say, by far the greatest preparation, though, must happen in the heart. We must come willing to forget about ourselves and our own agenda and and submit ourselves to God's word. Not the preacher's word, but God's word. Understanding this is God's word. This is God's word, and we want to hear it. We want to know what, what God has to say about life. What God has to say about relationships. What God has to say about family. What God has to say about the world. 
Without God's word, how, we, how, how would we know? Look at verse 5. It says, Ezra opened the book. I mean, that's enough right there, right? We could stop there, and that's a whole message in itself. Ezra opened the book. Sad to say there are churches you can go to that they never open the book. The book would be sitting over here and, and, and we might you know, give it you know, honor and respect in some way, but they never open the book. You say, well, how could that be for a church? Well, I don't know how that could be. I was taught differently that you've got to open the book if you want to understand, if you want to get anything out of it. Ezra opened the book. That's a great place to start, isn't it? It says that when he did, it says all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. They had this respect and honor for the word of God. When he opened the book, they all stood up. Many places I've been to, you know, when they have, they might have a, re- a reading of scripture, a passage, you know, and okay, let's all stand together kind of thing for the reading of the scripture. And they'll go through and read a, a section or whatever. Many times. This is kind of where that comes from, I believe. But they opened the book and the people had this response. Look at verse 6. said, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and they responded, Amen. Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This opening of the book, you know, radical things began to happen. But it began to happen after they had the book. After they opened the book, they noticed they lifted their hands. That's not weird. They said, Amen. That's okay, too. They bow down and they worship with their faces to the ground. That's a good thing, too. All different kinds of responses of worship. But, but it, it goes back to this thing where they opened the book. Verse 7. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, and all those guys, says they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there, and they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving, and mean, and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. This is so important, isn't it? They had, first of all, it was, wasn't just Ezra. There was a whole bunch of other people that helped. It wasn't just one guy's you know, message, one guy's interpretation. They had a bunch of people that would help. But notice here it says they, they would make it clear. They would give the meaning so that people could understand what was being read. It's not always easy to understand God's word, is it? I, I, you know, I study, you know, and, and so many times I, I, I have to go over and over again and I have to look for, you know, commentaries and, and, and talk to people that I know are, are more, um, you know, gifted and more uh, experienced in the word so I can begin to understand, but it's not always easy to understand. Why is that? Because, because it's, an, it's an eternal word of God. Because it's God's word and God is completely way beyond us as well. The eternal God, he's going to, you know, if God is going to speak to us. So we need help and we need teachers. And, and if we can't understand it, how, how will God's word help us if we can't understand it? You know, we could just sit here and read the, the verses, but if we, don't, if we don't make any kind of understanding, uh, you know, there's what's called the inductive Bible study 
method. And basically, you know, it's these three principles, very simple. Observation, where you look at it and, and you see what it says. What does it say? The second one is interpretation. What does it mean? What does it say? What does it mean? And who knows what the third one is? Application. How do I apply that to myself? You know, you look and see what does it say? What does it mean? And then how do I apply it to myself? We need all those things in our study and, 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 and understanding of God's Word. But the Holy Spirit helps us. And He helps us through teachers to understand. David Guzik again says this, They read distinctly, The preacher must speak in a clear and easy-to-understand way. His goal is to make the people understand, not to impress or entertain them. They gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. He must communicate the sense of the passage of Scripture, not his own agenda or hobby horse. The people must go away understanding God's word better, not understanding the preacher's opinions better. You see, we want to understand God's word. And my job and other teachers in, in our fellowship is to help explain and understand, make it clear. Not make it harder to understand. Some places you go to, you go, wow. You walk away, you know, man, it's, it's more difficult now. And, and then what do we do? We, we begin to just, you know, back away from God's word. We begin to not let it have much of a place in our lives. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They had this response. But Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and spend a send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a place for mourning. There's a place for weeping. There's a place for repentance. In fact, moving on in the book of Nehemiah and also in the book of Ezra, there, there was a time, and, and we'll, we're going to finish with that next week, where they, where they just had to repent and confess their sins before God. But he said, listen, we've opened up the book and the word, and, and we need to understand this is something joyful. This is not a burden. This is not something we have to do. This is something that will bring joy to our lives and hearts like nothing else will. He said, don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There was joy in the word, knowing and understanding God's word. There's joy there. He told them to celebrate, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They, they were able to celebrate. Some of the Psalms uh, in Psalm 119 is all about God's word. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And, and it's all about the Word of God. And let me just read a couple of them to you. He says, verse 111, Your statutes are my heritage. They are the joy of my heart. Another verse, he says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. He says, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Joy and delight in the Word of God. You know, we don't... We don't have a clue. I don't know about you, but, you know, when we sometimes we think about God's word, we think it's like something that, you know, it's it's just dry and dull and 
you know, book that we can't understand anyway, so why should I even bother? But you know what? There's, there's treasures in this book that, that for those who are willing to take a chance, who are willing to take a step and, and, and get into it, the treasures are unbelievable. And the joy that can come through God's word is unbelievable. Day after day, it says, in verse 18, they read from the book. From the first day to the last, they celebrated. They did what God's word said. They were people of the book. Of the book. And, and I have noticed, even in, in the 30-plus the years that I have been a believer, I've noticed the weakening in the churches of the emphasis on the word of God. I've noticed the weakening in the, in the foundation of the scripture in the church. Paul prophesied about it in that same chapter that I read to you where he said to Timothy, preach the word. He went on to say the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. He says the time will come when God's word just won't have its place. We'd rather be entertained. We'd rather hear things that make us feel good. That, that, you know, tickle that little fancy. But he told Timothy, preach the word. We've got to have the word. It's essential. It's crucial for the church. I want to say to you here today that if we stop teaching the Word of God here, if we stop teaching the Word of God in this place, I want to tell you, go somewhere else, please. If for any reason we stop teaching God's Word, go somewhere else, please. Don't stay for my benefit, because I've gone off the rail if that's what happens. You've got to have a place that's going to teach the word. If it's just all about experience and it's all about, you know, just emotion and feelings and whatever, but there's no foundation of the word of God, you're missing out. Go somewhere else. God speaks to us through his word. And if it's not a part of our lives, lives we, we need to make it part of our lives. So let me just close with this thought, okay? I want to be practical. I want to understand. You know, we're coming up to the new year, and, you know, I'm not big on the New Year's resolutions, right? But for each one of us, and, and, and you know, ask the question to yourself, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you for a show of hands or anything, but is, is the Word of God, is God's Word, the Scripture, this book, is this a part of your life? Or are you a person of the book? And what I mean by that is do you... Do you, first of all, believe it? Second of all, do you actually open it? Do you read it for yourselves? You know, I, you know, I was taught very, very early on that I needed to be a person of the book, and I would open the book, and I needed to, to have a devotional life day after day after day. Do I ever miss days? Yes, I do. Do I struggle with trying to stay in the Word? Yes. The Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak, and it doesn't want to. It's so much easier to turn on the television set. So much easier to, you know, to do all these different things, to read a magazine, to read even other good Christian books sometimes. But I want to I say to each one of us, 
to do what you can do. Do something. Ezra devoted himself to it. Try it for one week. Don't say, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. It may be too big of a, of a, of a bite to a chunk, a piece to bite off. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to do it for a week. I'm going to open it up for five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. Can you do that? Can you and I take five minutes a day? If you, you know, I, I thought about this. If, if I had a, t- a kind of a, a timer in my house, not a timer, but something that would keep track of how many minutes the, the TV set was on as opposed to how many minutes I had the book open and not at the same time because I've tried to do that before. Well, I'm just going to read my Bible now. And you're trying to watch some program. And that's ridiculous. But I've tried it. I've tried it all. I've tried it all. But if I had some kind of thing that would keep track of that, I, I, you know, I think every single one of us would be appalled at what, would, what the results would be. Every single one of us would be appalled. So I'm just asking for each one of us to think about it. Can we take five minutes for a week or ten and just open up God's Word? It doesn't mean you have to, like, read Leviticus and understand it all. But, you know, read the Psalms. Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read, read something that maybe you, you have an interest in, but just do something. Do anything. It's difficult, I know, I understand. But let me just close with this verse. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. They were believers. They believed in him. He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. And the truth, what? Shall make you free, shall set you free. Those of us that are believers well, he says, if you really are my believers, you are to be my disciples, you'll, you'll continue in my word. And, but not only that, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. A television program isn't going to set any of us free. In fact, you know what? Most of the ones that I see out there now, they bind us up. They bind us up, and they, they're, they're traps and temptations that bind us up. Be very careful. I'm not going to go on the TV thing right now. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just the chance to share together with our sisters from the Providence Teen Challenge, Lord. And, and I am so happy to hear uh, that, that uh, lives are being changed, Lord. And that you change people's lives in also use teachers and you use your word and I know they study your word and they have devotional lives and they're taught that and trained that and Lord I pray that you would teach us Lord what it means to follow you and Lord that we would have a place Lord for, forgive us for, for just not, not having a place in our lives and hearts for your book for your word Father reach into our hearts and lives with your word Lord Thank you for for so many times how you've spoken to us through the church and to us as individuals through your word, Lord. Changing us, challenging us, rebuking us, instructing us. 
May we build upon your word, Lord, our lives, upon the rock, that unchangeable, immutable, inspired word of God. In Jesus' name we pray.